0: right we've got um prodigal son which check the box on that then we've got the paralyzed sinner all Jesus' story right all jesus stories paralyzed sinner uh the perfect storm pitiful stranger pious soldier i've already told you i'm saving pious soldier for sunday um so we've got um pitiful stranger perfect storm and paralyzed sinner i was gonna maybe allow us to vote as which one would be next Um, um I don't know. Let me give you some insights. Um, so Perfect Storm was baked fresh this morning. That's fresh bread, right? So that's uh, You want Perfect Storm? We like the fresh, fresh, bread. Fresh, bread. fresh bread. Fresh bread. There we go. <laughs> Savior wins the vote. And so we'll push Paralyzed Center down. Let I'm going to tell you something. So, so Perfect Storm is also a good one to take now because I think it's much more dense than uh, Paralyzed Center. So... Um, so, you so know, I think your brains are probably freshest now. Uh, and then what we'll do is paralyze center. If that's going to be more of a lighter meal, maybe let's put that as the last message. Because if you have to have your fullest engagement at the last message, you probably, you know, this won't be that nice. You might even have something grocery shopping or something to do, you know, something like that. So uh, Perfect Storm is probably the better one to insert in that spot. Are we all in favor of Perfect Storm now? Man, I love it, love it. All right. Uh the eyes have it. Um hey, I would be remiss before entering into the perfect storm uh without thanking uh, James Clifford for letting me have his notes uh for a Prodigal Son. Um and so uh thank you, brother, I really appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there you go. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I would, uh, really appreciate it. Um, again and also thank you for letting me borrow these notes for the perfect storm i appreciate you all right let's let's oh man let's pray Uh, i love it um father god what mirth you give us when amongst the saints um, uh, once again, I just, uh, I thank you and praise you for, uh, this great mystery of the body, how it is that you can cause people who, um, Lord God, whose only blood connection is that in the Christ. And I say only not as an insult to the blood of your son, Jesus, but the fact that we place so much of a premium on biological connection, but you've given us a deeper connection, um, the, in your son, Jesus. And, uh, I thank you for that. And, I uh, thank you for Uh, being able to enjoy time with these your dear people would you now uh, as is always our request uh, glorify yourself and edify your people make us all the more ready uh, for uh, being worshipers in spirit and in truth and also to be more adequately equipped to uh, endure the challenges up ahead Uh, amen if you got your bibles with you go ahead and turn with me in them to the book of mark the book of mark Um, and we are looking at the perfect storm you know where i'm going right Jesus with his disciples on a boat. This is going to be a very familiar story to you. Um, Now, interesting. Take note of where the perfect storm or the story of Jesus and his disciples on a boat. I want you to take note of where the story is positioned. I hear pages flipping. I'm going to let you get there first. Say amen when you are in position at Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 41. You ready? All right, we're going to read together. Well, I'm going to read, you can listen. Um, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, that is his disciples, let us go across to the other side. Uh, Leaving the crowd, they took him with uh, them um, in, uh, in the boat, and just as he was. And other boats were there with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were crashing into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Um, But he was uh, in the stern asleep on on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And and he said to them, "Um, why are you so afraid? Uh, have you still no faith? And they were filled uh, with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Um, same uh, same um, uh, opportunity is on the floor. If I move too fast or say something, that is unclear. Just kind of choose a natural break. Um, maybe when I'm telling a joke or something and then just kind of pause for clarification. All right. And then, of course, uh, my timekeepers. Um, help me out because I'm going to try to plow through the entirety of this one without a stop. Um, and then we'll go, we have food after? Or no, we have one more message after. All right. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So in again. So so the perfect storm. We've all heard the phrase be- before, the perfect storm, right? And oftentimes, if we talk situationally about a perfect storm, we are referring to just a unique symphony of events that all kind of come together at the perfect time and when it, it seems like everything is going wrong and it's almost as if like y- you couldn't have um, you-, you couldn't have imagined how all of these negative occurrences could collaborate together to produce what we call the perfect storm. Right. So we all know what this colloquialism of the perfect storm is. But how do I am using how am I using the term perfect storm? I'm using the word perfect storm in this way. Um, in verse thirty five, just the first three words says on that day, what day? Well, this is a full day of teaching where Jesus, as is his tradition, has been just teaching and teaching and teaching. He's got this unique combo, this one 2 punch of messages and miracles that he's always kind of conducting in public. Right. Bible tells us in previous passages that, you know, Jesus, he would go to a place and he would you know, he would teach a message. And then he would uh, he would do a miracle typically to punctuate that message. They were always operating in tandem. The miracles were never standalones. They always came to underscore some other larger idea that Jesus had already posited about himself or either to further clarify. Or if he led with a miracle, he would further unpack it with a message. And then Mark also in previous passages here, if you just kind of read around this before we get there, says that what Jesus would often do is that he would teach publicly with parables. And it says, I think these words just before this were, um, and without a parable, he hardly ever spoke to the people. But then he would pull his disciples aside and he would unpack the parables to help them know that. So you got this full-blown teaching campaign. uh, And then it says, on that same day. So a full menu of teaching. Jesus is killing it. He's getting it done. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, let me see what else is going on here. Boom, boom, bam, bam, bam. Yep. Did I miss anything? Yeah. 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 So he's just been doing all of this teaching, just like I said, parables. He's he's teaching in parables and then he he pulls the disciples aside in a private session and he and he unpacks the parables. But then on that same day, they get on a boat. And right. So the Bible wants us to see this. They want us to see the immediate nature. The Bible wants us to see that there is a very short time frame that lapses between the major teaching campaign and going into this boat where there's going to obviously be a storm. Jesus would obviously know this. So I call it the perfect storm because in the spirit of what James says, he says, uh, when you encounter various trials or temptations, uh, count, he says, count it all joy, because out of that your patience is going to be worked uh, and, and you're going to gain some things and you will be perfected. And so I believe that that is exactly God's design for storms, that they would be used to perfect us to make us more complete. Now remember when the Bible uses the term perfect, they're talking about it in an agricultural sense, like right when a when a when a piece of fruit is perfected, it's it's ready to drop off the tree. It's fully ripe. It's got all of the juice and all of the color and all of the goodness. It's ready to be consumed. It has reached maximum fruitfulness. Anything after that is rottenness, anything before that is 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 not ready. Does that make sense? And so the idea of of of, of challenges and trials in a believer's life is that it, it is a, it is not that God Um, um, puts us in them but he utilizes the storms of a broken world in order to do something in our life and and part of what he's doing uh we can always count on according to the testimony of the scripture is that he uses them to perfect us and so i hope that out out of the outworking of these messages that we will grow to reconfigure the way we think about difficulties in life when it seems as if nothing else could go wrong consider yourself in oh this is a perfect storm Right now, you might, your face might not look like mine, but 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 think about it as a perfect storm if you're a believer. Now, what exactly are storms? Just to be cheesy for a moment, if I could, uh, let us begin to rebrand storms as this: an opportunity for God to shape our theology outside of just remembering messages. Only a couple people got that. Storms shaping theology outside of remembering messages. You got know it? Mean? Well, so, so, because that's exactly what's getting ready to happen to Jesus' disciples. They've heard a litany of messages. It's some of Jesus' best work. Jesus stands up and he gives us a parable, and then he thanks everybody, and then he turns around after that, and he thanks James for giving him his notes. <laughs> right? So, 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 that was a, you, you got that, right? You, you put, I got you. So, sorry, bud. But anyway, So so storms are a way that God wants to shape our theology outside of just remembering messages. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that God holds me and you accountable like I get a chance. I guess I get the beautiful uh, uh, privilege, the enormous responsibility and the awesome opportunity to stand here and preach these messages. And I believe that I don't know if it's going to be the same day or on that day, but in a very short period of time there's going to have to be a shaping of this theology outside of message prep. There's going to be a shaping of this theology outside of the the handshakes and the high fives that we will share around the outlines. Like if this is true, God is committed to putting you and I in a crucible where this theology will be shaped. Let me let me show you what the contours of this looks like in regular everyday life. And so now do you see why James could say with a straight face? Count it all joy when you encounter various trials because you're getting ready to have your theology shaped. These messages, these things that you read in the Bible are finally going to come real to you and not just great Bible stories. And so we can launch into the deep and fully appreciate what the Lord is going to do in our lives. And so here we go. Verse thirty five. Um, on that day when the evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. Surely when Jesus asked his disciples to go into the other side rather than to take up a hotel on the edge of town and wait for the next day before they rebegan their preaching campaign. He knew what he was leading his disciples into, which means it is the Lord that is leading this. The Lord wants to lead us through trials, not into temptation. He wants Remember Now, remember, so, you know, because Jesus asked. When he taught us to pray in Matthew chapter six, verse 13, it says, right, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we know that this is not the Lord leading his disciples into temptation. James also said that let no one say when they are tempted by evil that it's the Lord doing this because he can't be tempted with evil. Therefore, he attempts no one. But this idea of being led or but it's not the Lord leading us into temptation when we find ourselves providentially in the perfect storm. But he does want to lead us through trials, not into temptation. And so when we encounter temptation, it's not that we dig in our heels and pump the brakes and say, oh, no, 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 this can't be of God. No, it can very much be of God. He may want to lead you through it, not necessarily to it for you to crash and burn. Well. How exactly does God lead us through trials? And not just into them. First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 11 through 13. We're all familiar with kind of the big text there, which says that there is no temptation taking you, which is uncommon to man. But God, with the temptation uh, who is faithful, will make a way of escape. Not only does it say that, but it says something very important just before that, that I want to bring to our attention. First Corinthians chapter 10. Take a couple of steps back to verse 11. Look at this. You ready? Now, the the front half of chapter 10 starts talking about this historic difficulty that was had in the lives of the the children of Israel and how they fail many of the tests or challenges as a part of their life. And then look at what Paul says about it for us as New Testament believers, right? So he says, listen, the Old Testament isn't just supposed to be old. It has some very new information for us as new believers. And here's what that information is. Now, I want you to consider Who is Paul writing to the Corinthian church? Are these seasoned Jewish folks who grew up knowing the Bible back and forward? No, these are brand new uh, Gentile Christians who would have no context in many cases for the Old Testament. So they are expected to be in God's word, even in the covenant that they may not feel like is fully theirs. And here's what he says is the value of the Old Covenant stories for them and for us. Starting with verse 11. Now, these things happen to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction and on whom the end of the ages has come therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall no temptation has taken you that is common to man that is not common to man but god is faithful in that he will not let you be tempted above beyond that which you are able But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Here is the agenda of God in in leading us through trials and temptation. Here is the agenda of God, right? It's not just a pretty verse that says that says that we can endure it. I want you to see what God has done to ensure our endurance if we will follow it. First of all, they all start with the letter E for my note takers. We are supposed to during times of storms. Look for examples. We're supposed to look for examples. Then the Bible said it says in the Old Testament, he says these things have been captured for ex- examples for us. There should be examples. I not only should be looking for examples when I'm fighting temptation from the Bible, because and here's why I want to look for examples. My flesh, my brain, my commitment to Google and other things wants to believe that the best innovative thought is ahead of me, not behind me. There is something about my heart, as much as I have read my Bible, that wants to believe that the Bible is just antique and I need something more innovative. The problems of the human life are new and complex and nuanced, but the Lord wants to continuously reestablish in our hearts that the word of God is living and therefore capable of speaking in an eternal and constant way into our lives, regardless of how old we think the letters are. The principles are timeless. I need historic examples. God has given that to me. Solomon said there is nothing new under the sun. And if I really do believe that, I'll go back to the Bible when I encounter difficulty, when I'm in that perfect storm, Lord, show me an example. And guess what? Some of us will find the example immediately and others will have to labor for weeks. But that's part of the treadmill that God wants to put us on to build in us greater depth of theology that, wow, the Bible does really speak eternally. And the harder I have to work for something, then the more it's going to be in me. I'll never forget how hard I had to find this particular example that spoke with pinpoint accuracy to my situation. And even if I couldn't find it for myself, I then went to one of the elders. I went to one of the senior brothers or sisters. I I went everywhere I could. Whatever resources you have to reach to, fight to find examples that speak to your situation when you find yourself in the perfect storm. And the level of labor is all part of God shaping your theology, that it is there and that the Bible is indeed a treasure trove of truth. If you'll trust it to be exactly that. But the Bible not only tells us there in First Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, that we could look to the Old Testament for examples. It says something else. Let me see. Let's just do a little pop quiz. See if you can find it. It says now these things happen to them as examples. Look at that. I didn't make it up. But they were written down for our instruction. They were written for our instruction. Starting with the letters EX, what would be another word for instruction that we get from Scripture? I'm doing it right now. This is called what kind of preaching? Expository. Very close, in the same family, boom, I'll give it to you. Right? I, I need to look for examples, but I also need to look for Exposition. Can I find any exposition? Can I look maybe for some of Jesus' teachings? Or can I look for, for a message that was preached by some person? Can I find a podcast? I need to look for exposition on how it can help me. How can we exegetically? Yeah, I'll even take that. How can we look for some unpacking of God's word that speaks beautifully into my situation? When I find myself in a perfect storm, I need examples from the scripture and I also need exposition because I can find a great example that looks like my life. But I need somebody to exposit that so that I can see what principles I'm supposed to get. So perhaps when I'm in the perfect storm, this is a great time for you to go find your example, but not just read it, love it and memorize it. But then at the same time, begin to unpack it and say, all right, Lord, what instructions are in here for me? That's what it would look like to exposit a particular example from Scripture. And I'm going to tell you, if the Scriptures call all of us to do it, you don't need a degree to perform it. I I, I hope that just because I use the word exposition that you're not thinking that, well, Pastor Ron, only you can do that. No, that's ridiculous. If, If God says to do it, the grace to pull it off is resident. So we need to look for examples. We need to look for exposition. Here it is. got to participate in the message one more time. All right. For let no one think, uh, oh, oh yeah, it is. Verse 12. Let no one think when he stands, uh, thinks that he stands, excuse me, let no one thinks that he's the one who thinks that he stands, let the person who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. We need examples. We need exposition. And what is that? If I walk up to, if I walk up to, 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 to John and I say, take heed, brother, lest you fall. What is that? Who said that? Yes. We need exhortation. We need to be exhorted. Do not rebuke or push back against people who come alongside and speak into your life and exhort you to change path or exhort you to, to shore up where you might be falling short. Right? Now, you guys are coming up with this stuff. You say, this is not alliteration. This is like, you know, it's, it's, it's y'all. Y'all found these. All right, here's, here's the next one. You ready? Is this not fun? You're preaching to yourselves, right? Here's the next one. Now, let these things that happen to you as examples. Uh, now, we're written down for our, right, exposition. Uh, on the end whom the ages of uh, the ages has come. Therefore, let everyone who thinks that he stands, right? That's some exhortation. Uh, No temptation is overtaking you. Such is not common to man, but God who is faithful will build in a way of escape. What's another word that starts with the letter EX that is also an escape. Who said that? There you go. Exit. You'll be preaching next week. Well, there it is. It's right there in plain view, right there laying on the surface of the scriptures. All I did was just kind of put it in a little, you know, gift wrap, which of which you helped me cut the paper. Right. If I am, I am to be looking for examples, exposition, exhortation. And then I should also be looking for the exit. Now, all of these things have been provided on the basis of what fundamental thing in God, according to the scriptures. God is faithful. He is faithful to not let you be tempted above your ability, but he will also provide this way of escape. So all of these things are resident, are ready for the believer, resident to be found on the basis of God's faithfulness, not as a function of our intellect, not as a function of how cool we are with looking and finding little nuggets in the scripture. It says that this is a function of God's faithfulness that this stuff can be located. You see that? And so then, The Lord wants to lead us through trials, not into temptation. And as he's leading us through, he wants us to make these discoveries. We are on point number two. All right. Verse 36. Ready? Um, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were there with him. So in other words, Jesus didn't even get a chance to get his other cloak and sandals. He's out there on the boat in Crocs or whatever he preaches in. uh, Right. Uh, He's just out there. But uh, but it says that he but but notice the real tension that I want to create or the tension that I believe is readily created in the text and leaving the crowd. So he's been preaching and spending time with crowds. And it says and leaving the crowd. They took him in the boat just as he was. I believe is a second point when it comes to the perfect storm. Not only does the Lord want to lead us through trials and not into temptation, but he also wants to get us to himself, but not by ourselves. The Lord desires to get us to himself, but not by ourselves. He wants us to leave the crowd. Notice that the only people in this boat, the only people that are going to share this emergency or share this this peril are the disciples and their Lord. You following me? Okay. So the Lord wants to get us to himself, but not by ourselves. Am I sure about that? Is this just a fancy way to create another point? Or is there a biblical pattern of God getting people to himself while we yet may other times feel like we're by ourselves, but we're not. I think there is. And here comes one. In Matthew chapter three, as a preview, as a prelude to Jesus's ministry, he was driven into the wilderness following. He was driven to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He was out there by himself. But wait, not by himself. He was to himself, but not alone because he was driven there and he was led and he was ministered to by the angels. But there was something deeply preparatory and necessary about Jesus being alone. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus not only did this as a preparation for ministry, he did it throughout as a discipline. Watch this. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says that a great while before day, Jesus would get up and go out into the desert in a solitary place and pray. Jesus recognized the virtue. Now, here it is. Jesus? Uh, now, Now, hold this passage in one hand. Jesus gets up a great while before day and goes out by himself to pray. Right. He views he, he sees the value of solitude. Jesus has been driven into the wilderness. Right. As a part of ministry prep. Now, remember this Hebrews chapter five, verse eight. Somebody in here knows it. Although he were a son, he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. I was as a teenager, I was blown away by this. I was like, Jesus knows everything. What is there left to learn? Although he was a son, he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. So in other words, there was, but in the, what, what does the following passage say? There were certain things that Jesus suffered that was very much a part of him becoming perfected, if you will, not because he was imperfect, but him becoming the, the, the author and the finisher of our faith so that we wouldn't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weakness because he's been tempted in all points as we are, but yet he didn't fall to any of them. So there is this, there is this building of sympathy in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a, something about sympathy that cannot be gained just intellectually. And so, and so if the son saw the need to go to a solitary place, then how much more do we? I'm a huge advocate. Having spent time in Atlanta and lots of traffic, of windshield worship time. I'm a huge advocate of it, but I also can't use that as a substitute for detailed, intentional, set-aside time where, Lord, I want to get away from it all and just be with you, where there's nobody here but me and you. Fight for that. Fight for that. Jesus did. I mean, you talk about one of the most popular people on the planet, not one of, the most popular person on the planet. It was hard to find Jesus not in a crowd but he had to do what did, he, what? did he have to do to get rid from the crowd? He had to get up before they got up, because he knew as soon as he got found at the store, somebody's going to come walking up. Heal my pigeon. <laughs> so Jesus fought for solitude. You and I should too. The Lord wants to be alone with you. There is just a there's just an undeniable transfer of truth, and just a kind of a building up of the faith, and just kind of a. Uh, um, 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 a, a crafting of fellowship. There's just something that happens in being alone with the Lord that is just undeniable. Um, and it is beautiful. Jesus did it. I want to do it. But there's more. In Jonah chapter four, verse six, he was by himself underneath the turban of tree, by himself when the angel appeared and said, hey, mighty man of valor. And he was like, who are you talking to? I'm actively hiding because the other nations are coming in and stealing all of our goods. Who could you possibly be saying is a mighty man of valor that you want to use? Well, God met with him in a place when he was by himself. Well, well to himself, but not by himself. Does that make sense? Oh, it gets better. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, in Judges, in jo- uh, no, I'm sorry. Jonah, did I say Jonah? Back up. I said Jonah 4, 6. I, mean, I did mean Jonah 4, 6. Uh, But it was uh, it was definitely it was Jonah who was underneath a vine that the Lord caused to grow up when he was by himself. The Lord caused the vine to grow up where he ministered to the heart of Jonah to get him to make his turn to understand the real thing that he wanted him to do in Nineveh. It wasn't until he was in that place that Jonah was able to really reconcile what God wanted to do in the people of Nineveh. Does that make sense? How being in solitude has is just kind of this appointment that we gain with God. And then, of course, the book of Judges, chapter six, verse 11. That's where it is that Gideon is under the terebin tree. Sorry if I saw I saw some eyebrows on there for a moment. Um, So it was Judges. It was in Judges that Jonah was found. Uh, Excuse me, in Judges that Gideon, Gideon was found under the terebin tree. Um, But again, what um, Gideon thought about himself didn't match what the Lord thought about him. But it was at that time when he was under the terebinth tree, right, threshing wheat and hiding goods where he was living a life of fear that the Lord met with him and says, hey, let me let me speak with you for just a moment. I believe that and I believe you could go throughout the Bible and find great people, highly and greatly used of God, who in places of deep solitude and separation from the crowds. Right. Um, would have these great appointments with God. Don't miss your appointment. Go see God in solitude. Why? The Lord wants to get us to himself, but not by ourselves. I know we live in times of great connectivity. And so we crave connection. And because we crave connection, we oftentimes find it inconvenient and often unnecessary to get great alone time with God. But I believe that this kind of moving out away from the crowds into this perfect storm is very much a part of the agenda of God. Verse thirty seven. And a great storm windstorm arose. I promise I'll go faster, no, faster, like the text will move faster. Not me. Um, and great. Win, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat and the boat was already filling. Right. Verse 37. What does this mean? Or what is it about? The Lord wants to reveal to us the things that are taking our faith from us. The Lord wants to clearly reveal to us the things that are robbing or taking our faith from us. What are the three things that were robbing the faith of the disciples? Um, One, the winds, two, the waves, three, there was water actively filling the boat. I believe that water, wind and waves are emblematic of three things that rob all of us of our faith in the middle of storms. How wind things that I can feel, but I can't necessarily see. We are very much sensory people. And so when all we feel most confident, when all of our senses are engaged And especially when we feel like we have control over the items that are impacting us. But the Lord has a unique way of sometimes allowing us to experience situations where there's just wind. Things that I can feel that I know are troubling, but I can't necessarily see them. So that means just one of my faculties or many of my faculties are disabled from being able to do it. You can't fight the wind. You can do nothing. There are waves, things that you can see, but you cannot stop. So, surely these fishermen are there and the waves are crashing into the boat and the sea is incredibly tumultuous, but there's nothing that they can do about it um, at that time. And this is a part of the test that the Lord would take us to in order to what? To perfect our faith. And then sometimes we encounter, or maybe all the time we encounter, when waves, but also water. It says that the boat was already filling. The Bible wanted us to know that the boat was filling up, right? These are experienced fishermen. So storms would not have necessarily frightened them. Uh, wind would not have been new to them. Um, but this is obviously uncharacteristic wind and waves. And then they have another problem. The waves must've been so high, not must've been, they are so high that they are starting to fill up the boat. Right. So they are lapping over uh, it and coming in and it is filling up the boat. Not their feet aren't just getting wet. I'm pretty sure they've got some little spout or a hose or or maybe they've got some buckets. But the the boat is filling so they don't have any devices of their own to even uh, participate in their own rescue. If you will, the boat is filling. These are things that if they don't subside, you feel like you won't survive. Anybody ever felt that these are things that rob us of our faith. These are things that if they don't subside, we feel like we won't survive. If that boat doesn't stop filling, these guys don't feel like they're going to make it. And guess what? The Lord wants to reveal exactly what our winds are. He wants to reveal exactly what the waves in our lives are. And he wants to, he wants to reveal what it feels like. He wants us to know because it isn't the same for all of us. There are certain things that feel like a wind to me that doesn't feel like a wind, doesn't feel like wind to you. And so each one of us in our perfect storm, the Lord wants to highlight, this is the stuff in your life that is regularly robbing you of your faith. I want you to see in detail each one of them, and I want you to be able to call them by name so that you can understand what I'm about to do next. You ready? Tell you what move faster. We're already on verse 38. (laughs) Um but he was in the stern talking about Jesus. He was in the stern. Follow this very carefully. Don't miss a word. He was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Right. And they woke him and said to him, don't miss this teacher. Do you not care that we are perishing? And then he awoke and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Follow this very carefully. The Lord wants to show us that peace that surpasses all understanding comes from a person that has all understanding. How could Jesus possibly sleep, right? Had he taken like too much still a knock? That's like German um, um, sleeping pills. For anybody that doesn't know, still a knock, right? It's like silent night or something, I think it means. I found someone at an airport I was on my way to South Africa, and I was like, We've been on a plane for hours and we were a 24 hour layover. And I was like, we I, I can't sleep. And so I went and got some still knock. I figured this is like the BMW of sleeping pills. Let's go. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so uh, but anyway, so Jesus is sleep. He's sleeping hard. He's obviously not under the influence of any substances. How can Jesus sleep so hard in such a humongous storm? He sleeps because he doesn't have peace. He is the embodiment of peace. Peace is a person, not just a thing that he supplies. You understand? So then when the apostle Paul says, hey, I've been a base and I've been abound uh, in Christ, I'm, I can do all things through Him," Why? Because he, he supplies a peace that surpasses all understanding. Well, what is this peace that surpasses all understanding come from? It comes from a person who has all understanding. In other words, my peace is robbed when I fully don't understand all the elements. I want to fully understand why this perfect storm is breaking out of my life. And when I can't figure it out, it robs me of my peace. But real peace comes from a person who does understand all things. So I don't have to understand all things. So Jesus' is modeling piece, the Bible could have clearly skipped over and just said, and Jesus rose to the stern of the boat, and with his, his cloak flowing in the wind, put his hands on his feet, and spoke to the skies, waved his hands. Like, the Bible could have surely given us that heroic view of Jesus. No, they want to see Jesus asleep on a cushion. Like, in other words, the boat is, is rocking tumultuously, and it couldn't even move him off his pillow. The Bible wants us to see that, that that Jesus got weight and that he is the embodiment of peace in the midst of a storm. Ephesians chapter two, verse 14 says, and Jesus Christ is our peace. How is peace a person? What well, the scriptures are showing you. Jesus is our peace. There is something uniquely embodied within Christ that when we are in him, we become the beneficiaries of it. But look at this very telling pictorial. The embodiment of peace can be in the same boat with me right there, sharing in my troubles. And I still not have. The same peace. How does that happen? I'll tell you why. Because I haven't let the peace giver speak to my problems yet. And that's what Jesus is about to do. Notice that Jesus gets up. Now, now, check this out. The disciples cry out to Jesus and they don't say they don't say Jesus. They call him teacher because that's the primary portrait of Jesus that they have. He is a great teacher. Don't you care that we are perishing? I won't take any liberties to suggest that they thought Jesus was going to perish, too. But the way that they are frantic, I believe so, because they see him as a teacher. They say, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? We plural, we collectively. In other words, don't you care that all of us are perishing? We are you, too. You're about to go down with the ship. Don't you care? Don't you care? And Jesus gets up and he says, uh, and he awoke, right? So, no, not, he, he didn't just awake. They woke him. In other words, storms crashing. They're like, um, teacher, teacher. Go over and get Jesus. Teacher. And then Jesus wakes up from his sleep. And he says, and he rebukes. Now, this is careful. This is this is check this out now. He rebukes the wind and he says to the sea, peace, be still. He is the teacher. In other words, Jesus stands up the one that they formerly knew as teacher. And he shows himself as someone else, because they said, who is this that even the winds obey? He says, I'm not just the teacher. Let me show you who else I am. Speaks. He, he rebukes the wind. In other words, when you're being disobedient and I'm your daddy. Who else can rebuke except one who has a, a parental authority and or control? He rebukes the wind. And then he tells the, the wind, he says, peace, be still. He rebukes the, the wind and he says to the sea, be still. Now, this is important to note. I believe that the perfect storm is a place where God wants to graduate or complete all of our understanding of who he is. All of us have an can have an accurate understanding of jesus but yet one that is incomplete just like the disciples they know him as a teacher i believe that jesus is a teacher but do i really know him as the creator do i really know him as the author and the finisher of my faith do i really know him as the as the captain of the lord's host do i really know him or these are just fancy titles that i memorized because i like to read my bible but has he made himself that in my life how many people are familiar with the Amazon logo? The Amazon uh, from a marketing perspective. You know Amazon? It's a little smiley face with the arrow? You notice how one side of the smile goes from the A and the other side points to the Z to say, hey, in Amazon you can get A to Z? Now, I believe that. I do believe that. Now I believe it because the marketing is true. But do you know there, there's one way to believe it here, but there's another way here. Like when I can go on Amazon, in my app, in my phone right now during the break, and I can order applesauce. Uh, uh, bananas. I could go in there and get copper tone, um, uh, you know, suntan lotion, right? I can also go in there and get, you know, uh, D batteries, or I can go in and get a stuffed elephant, or I can go in there and find, you know, something that starts with the letter F, right? When I go through the Amazon menu and I start ordering all this stuff, now I believe because the, the A to Z has now showed up on my doorstep, Now I really believe that Amazon has, can put a smile on my face by delivering the A to Z into my life. And I believe that for so many of us, myself included, I haven't fully explored what it means for Jesus to be the Alpha and Omega. I know him as a few things, but I don't know him as all things. And I believe that a part of my walk as a believer is to make that beautiful discovery that my joy would be complete in Christ as I discover him really as the Alpha and Omega. And so storms help me get there because memorizing and crafting and making messages do not. And so he rebukes the wind. He commands the sea. This is powerful, and we need, we'll need a break shortly thereafter. Mm. He commands the winds. He commands the sea. He rebukes the wind, commands the sea, right? He says to the sea, Peace be still. Love this. Now, if you're a good group of Jewish guys, you don't have a New Testament yet. The only access to truth and scripture you got is the Old Testament. You probably got if if, if your parents were obedient, they drilled you in the great stories of faith. And of course, you're going to be way more familiar with the front of the book than you are with the back of the book. There is no doubt in my mind when Jesus said to the storm or said to the to the sea, peace, be still. That the disciples couldn't immediately pull up in the back of their minds that moment where Moses told the people who were afraid that the Egyptians were crashing down. And he said, stand still and you will see and stand still and watch the Lord work. Or as it, as the psalmist put it, uh, be still and know that I am the Lord. In the Old Testament, Moses told the people to be still in the New Testament. Jesus tells the sea to be still. That's crazy. I mean, it's one thing to get a group of people that don't have any hope to tell them to be still. But to then to turn around to the creation to tell it to be still. Who's really in charge here? Is that not a powerful, crazy example of Jesus's power that would have just stood? Think about how now the story of the Exodus would have stood up in their hearts and be like, whoa. We thought Moses was something. This guy, he tells the water to be still. And not just water, disobedient water. And so what's the point of all this? The Lord wants to speak to the biggest issues facing my faith. Simply put, the Lord wants to speak to the biggest issues facing my faith. In the perfect storm of my life, the Lord wants us to see how the Lord desires to speak to those areas. And while we do not relish storms, I do believe that they are necessary for us to do what? Have our theology to be shaped outside of just remembering messages. Final point on all of this, I promise. Um, Verses 40 and 41. So then, and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The Lord wants to call out our fear and then backfill it with faith. I believe that when the next time you find yourself going through a great storm, pull out your journals and not only start to capture examples and exposition and exhortation uh, and 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 look clearly for the Lord's exit strategy. But I want you to do this. I want you to write down who, what, when, why. Right. Who, what, when, why and where. Write them down. Jesus helps us with the first three questions in the list. He says, why are you so afraid? write down why you are afraid don't be afraid to write down why you are afraid you don't get even more afraid just because you wrote it down but you need to see your fears because i want you to see clearly the things that the lord wants to speak to and defeat in your life i I have a a a, a series of, of powerpoints in my computer that i have saved that when i'm praying i'm like lord this is what i fear and i write it down and i call it by name and then i wait for him to, and, and, and I'll assign a passage of scripture that I want to see the Lord ignited like that fear. And then I'll wait for him to actually do it to see how he framed it. And the reason that I do that is because I want to share it with my kids. I don't want to just keep it on my computer. Because when I see them dealing with certain fears, I want them to see in real time how the God of the Bible addresses fears today. How he speaks to my fears, my biggest things that I'm, that I'm afraid of in my life. Why are you so afraid? write it down. Jesus then says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So the next question is, where is my faith? Where is it? What have I placed my faith in so far? And then what's the next question that that, uh, the disciples ask? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? Right? So the next question is, who is this? Who does Jesus want to be in the middle of this storm that I currently experiencing?" Write something down today in the middle of the storm and then write something down when the storm is over. What did you learn about who he wanted to be amongst the Alpha and Omega, amongst the A to Z? Write it down. And then here's the what. What is blind? What is blinding me to his power? I believe this comes from earlier in the passage. What are the winds and what are the waves and what are the water filling up my boat? What is blinding me to God's power? What is making me forget that he is supreme? What is making me forget that he can speak to these issues? And then here's another, here's the third fifth question. When has the Lord shown himself Lord over this in the Bible? So this will obviously align. with looking for your examples. Here's a great way to use this message. Why are you so afraid? Write it down. Where is your faith? What is it in today? Right? Nobody's going to see this, but you, so you don't have to, if you want to write down, my faith is in my 401k, write that down. Just write it down. Just be honest with yourself so that the Lord can speak to the real fear. Right? Who is this? Who does Jesus showing himself to be? Who have you known him so far to be? And who does, who does he prove himself to be throughout this process that you're going through this perfect storm? What is binding me or what is blinding me to his current power? Write down your wind, write down your waves, write down your water. What are the things that you don't feel like you got? If you don't kick in, I won't survive. Here are things that I can feel, but I can't see. Here are the things I can see, but I can't control. Like write that stuff down. And when has the Lord at other times in your life or in the scripture shown himself to be over this, both in the Bible and also just in the body of your own belief. Because what I believe happens in many cases is that the Lord reveals himself in our lives in themes. Meaning he'll show himself over and over again, strong and mighty in some of the same ways in our lives. We just forgot that he had done this before in our lives. So write down, who does he want to be? Who does he want to reveal himself to be? Who has he already revealed himself to be in the Bible? And who has he already revealed himself to be in your own life, in your redemptive past? So remember that. Um, So that's it. That's the perfect storm. Um, I think we should take a break. Um, I really need one. And then uh, is it a longer than usual break or the standard break? Okay, no rest for the weary. Mm. All right, good. All right, five minute break and then we'll come right back.